welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. All right, welcome to episode 117 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. Rich, did you hear that, man? What's going on with being punked? I, that's what I was thinking too. Like, what's up with the intro? Like, I, he, he's long gone. He's not even with Microsoft anymore. <laughs> but you never know. He might be with us. He might. Jeremy, you there? Hey, guys. How are you? Yay! <laughs> Blast from the back, past. Man. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I thought this was a fitting week to have you back on. I want to get caught up a little bit on what's going on with... Um, you know, I know your move and, and all the exciting things you guys are doing with a uh, new company. And uh, But I also have seen a lot of the the posts. You've been really, really active in the blogosphere. And uh, there was one in particular that I thought was fitting for this show. So um, we're going to have you as our guest. And um, you're welcome to chime in on the weekly updates. We have a few of those, but then we'll get into the, the heart of it. But it's awesome to have you, have you here. Thanks, man. It's good to be back. Coatsy, what's going on in your world? Oh, mate, we're flat out at the moment. Next week, just next week, Ignite Australia is on, and uh, it's going to be a pretty exciting show. We've got a bunch of very, very cool things. I think more sessions than we've ever had at Ignite in Australia, and it's on, on the Gold Coast. Um, and then one of the really cool things we're doing is we're uh, live broadcasting um, a bunch of the breakout sessions and uh, interviews through Channel 9 on Tuesday and Wednesday next week. Uh, and uh, I'm going to host uh, Channel 9 on Wednesday uh, on, the, on the interviews, which will be lots of fun. And then um, John Liu, who we talked about last week on last week's show uh, about a blog post he did about serverless and, and Azure Functions uh, in Office 365, is actually doing one of the uh, the live broadcast sessions on Wednesday from 1:45 Queensland time. So that'll be uh, that'll be pretty neat. Uh, I, I just if you if you're interested in some great tech content, then it's all going to be up on on Channel Nine uh, after the fact as well. So for Ignite Australia, does it get a lot of uh, international attendees? I mean, do you get a lot of Asia Pac and New Zealand and things like that? Yeah, we do. Um, the Kiwis run their own Ignite as well. Uh, I was there just at the um, uh, at the end of last year doing uh, some office sessions uh, at Ignite New Zealand. They, ha- they always have a great show there. Uh, but uh, those are two, the, really the two Ignites that happen in, in APAC. And so I'm sure we'll get people from, uh, from all over the region. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. And we've got a bunch of people coming down. Scott Guthrie's keynoting. Um, uh, Donna, um, Donna Haskell, what's, oh, I've got her name wrong. Uh, sorry, Donna Saka from uh, Windows Insiders is, uh, is, is, uh, is doing a bunch of stuff with her team. It's going uh, to be some really cool, uh, cool content. That's and, awesome. And, oh, and she, like, she's doing some traveling. I just saw she was in South Africa this week. That's it. I think she was down for the um, for the Cloud Roadshow, or whatever it's called nowadays, the the Microsoft the Tech Summit. Tech Summit thing, yeah, yeah, yeah and, and and your old guys, the Airpoint guys, are uh, one of the platinum sponsors. Ducks will be down again, JT. That's how I uh, started out. You know, I met the VP of Sales in the from Australia on the booth at the Tech Ed where we had a session together. Yeah, and that's when yeah, they offered th- me the job and flew over to New York. That's awesome, man. I think it's when we painted our faces. I, I, actually, I found up some right. photos of that the other day. So some, some, uh, some green and gold and some, some red and blue. That's right. That's when Can I showed my hair too. I'll make sure we have that in the show notes. <laughs> I actually have no spiky hair. I, I buzzed my hair before I t- what turned up. Yeah, nice. I think I saw that. It was on your, uh, what was it, Code, your Codeplex profile. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, look, that... Ignite in Australia has been is a real buzz. I mean, it's been tech ed obviously before that, but there's a, it's a real opportunity for for people in the region to to get some uh, to get some great tech content. So definitely check that out. Cool. Well, um, in terms of updates, you know, we publish the show every Thursday, and we just missed a pretty big announcement. In fact, I knew this was coming. I just didn't know the exact date of the announcement, but we uh, we didn't get to scoop it. But the uh, add-ins are now available for. Outlook on iOS, which has been something that has been in the making for a long, long, long time. Uh, but now you can uh, you can opt in on this, go and select the different add-ins that you want to enable on uh, Outlook for iOS, and you can now get all that great add-in goodness directly on your phone. And this is really exciting. So which, I've got a couple, a couple of partners. Sorry, the the add-in model, the, the the current add-in model, you can you can you can enable that on your on, on the iPhone. Yeah, which addings are you using though, Rich? 
Um, you know, right now, um, I've really just been playing with the ones that are out there. Some of the the big ones that I like to use all the time, like um, Boomerang, aren't there yet, or at least it wasn't when I checked. Um, so for now, I'm just kind of toying with the ones that are that are there. Um, there's only a, you know a few that I religiously use, and and they haven't quite shown up yet. I've got a couple of partners who are do, who are really excited about this because they're doing a bunch of cool productivity things and they really want their their users to have access to to their add-ins on the go and on the go usually means on the phone not on the tablet not on the uh, you know not not on the PC they really want to be able to quickly do something with email or do something with with uh, excel or whatever it is on the on the phone on the go so that's that the um uh that actually leads me quite nicely into another uh, the, the next section. There's a, a bunch of uh, people who've put up uh, some solutions to the hack productivity uh, um, hackathon at the moment, and that um, one of my one of my partners has, has put. I'm not going to I'm not going to mention them because I don't want to influence the voting, but uh, but those are the guys, those are one of the guys who are so excited about this idea of being able to have this ubiquitous access to their to their add-in. Yeah, you know, I was looking at that the other day. So we'll have the link to this in the show notes. We talked about hack productivity a few times uh, throughout the year. And, and this is a, a big hackathon, a virtual hackathon that is sponsored by Microsoft. Uh, it was organized through DevPost. But basically, there's some pretty gigantic prizes for the winners. I don't I don't remember what the – I think first prize is like $12,000 or $10,000 or something like that. Plus, I think more importantly, though, first prize includes the opportunity to come on this show. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's it's cool, but what I thought was really neat is that there were a pretty. See, I haven't gone through and been able to look at all of them so far. Uh, there were a few that certainly caught my eye, but there's like 55 submissions for it this year, which I thought was awesome and and really high quality. I, I think one of the interesting things about hackathons like this is it's a forcing function for with 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 a with an end date to not only get your your um your uh, add-in together or, or your solution together, but also to do a bunch of stuff around the marketing piece of it. Build a uh, build a video, uh, do some stuff around icons and those sorts of things. I think that's a really a really key part of this process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so the, it, in addition to that, uh, a few other kind of Microsoft updates. I'll go through a couple of them quick. Is that uh, the Office UI Fabric version six was released? So if you're doing anything with the uh, Office UI Fabric. Um, you know, there's a new version. Every time a new version comes out, you know, they're getting things more solid in other in some areas and then adding new controls and features in others. Um, another uh, update I would say from the Microsoft side is the SharePoint PMP webcast of the week. Uh, this week, the webcast is on validating SharePoint framework client site web part property values. Man, that is a mouthful. But basically, <laughs> when you're building new SharePoint framework web parts, uh, you have the ability of, of having your own kind of properties and property pane for uh, the, the settings for those web parts. And this talks about how you go through and uh, validate those. So um, if you're a SharePoint guy doing anything with the SharePoint framework, uh, definitely check that out. The PNP webcasts that they do weekly are, are really fantastic. It's very cool. In fact, I think I'm going to add that title to my, my vocal warm-ups for, my, uh, for, for any session work I do. I, I was actually thinking of Jeremy the other day because uh, we were working with our, our speaker coach who, who's done a fair bit of work with our, uh, our Ignite speakers throughout the, I guess, the last almost 10 years. Uh, and Jeremy was one of those guys he did some work with. And, and one of the exercises we did with the, uh, with the speakers this year was just how to do some warm-ups, how to get yourself speaking a bit more slowly, which is something I need to work on, and in a... Uh, an articulate frame of mind and, and saying um, uh, tongue twisters was one of those things. So validating SharePoint framework client side web part property <laughs> values is probably a good thing to start with. Yeah, we might want to throw some like um, like words that are very similar and make it a little bit more of a tongue twister. But I agree. It's a uh, it uh, as I was reading, I was like, man, this feels like a run on sentence. But uh, in, in a way, it probably is. Um, another one I'll point out, you know, it, it feels like. The whole idea of podcasts are really catching on. Um, it feels like everyone and their mom these days is spinning up a, a podcast. I don't mean that in a negative sense because it's, it's – it's, no, I don't. I really don't. I mean it's, it's, more, it's more great information, you know, especially when I, when I travel, being able to just like crank on a bunch of podcasts and plow through them um, are super valuable. And everyone has a different perspective on things. But, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, there's – 
you know, even, you know, people like CJ and, and uh, AC who have the Microsoft Cloud Show, you know, even Jeremy now is, is hosting a new podcast. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But there is one that I wanted to point out just because of how deep these guys are on the Office 365 dev side is uh, Rencore, the, the guys behind uh, the SharePoint uh, SPCAF, they, um, they've started a what they're calling Tech Talks. And they have episode one, and it's actually talking about uh, groups. So um, check it out. You know, uh, it's another thing you can add to your you know podcast list that you listen to. And um, I figured I'd give those guys a plug because it is you know of all the you know different things that are out there. Even if we look at things like CJ and and AC, what they're doing with the Microsoft Cloud Show. Um, if if you're really looking for like pure Office 365 developer content, I would say that that one's going to be more kind of aligned with that expectation. Uh, so anyway, just another one to consider. Yeah, awesome. Um, Ilio has been, uh, been prolific again this week, Ilio Struff. Um, uh, and, and a couple of related posts is uh, talking about automating publishing of um, SharePoint framework scripts to the Office 365 public CDN and then automating publishing of your framework solution package. Um, uh, package deployment. So that th- those two together, I think, are really, really worth uh, worth checking out. This whole idea of automation, I think, is so important to the way we do work as developers. The the, the concept of repeatability uh, and um, and and the ability to 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 uh, un- understand, be confident that when we deploy something, it's going to happen the same way each time. Yeah, you know, Jeremy, I'd be interested in your take on this because I remember, you know, Jeremy and I kind of lived through what I would say the the kind of early days of the app model uh, and, you know, all of the, we'd go around and we'd show, you know, how easy it was to build these things and, you know, do the whole fancy hello world scenarios. But, you know, what we got a lot was, you know, the desire to have better DevOps story around a lot of the things that we were um, evangelizing back then. And, and honestly, Microsoft didn't have much of a story at all. We had people like, um, you know, Chris O'Brien that had done some things around it. But uh, it's cool to see more and more of this. I mean, do you remember all that, those pains, Jeremy? Yeah, I I mean, I lived it with the add-in model. And when I joined Microsoft, that was really my remit was to try and, uh, and to be honest, Vasa, without him and what he did with PMP with that group of people, my job would have been very, very hard, uh, kind of getting people to adopt the add-in model. And I was involved a lot uh, before we even started publicly talking about the SharePoint framework uh, in the dev kitchens with the partners and MVPs who came and gave feedback very early on in the cycle. And I had my own kind of personal opinions about where, what kind of things we would hit when this went public. And I think one of the things that has surprised me has been uh, the willingness of people to adopt another model and also the willingness to leave behind their comfort zone even more so when they were from .NET to this full dev toolchain in JavaScript. Um, you can see the bloggers that have kind of started late on this and playing with it. You can see the frustrations on Twitter and Facebook as they realize that the learning curve is a little bit steeper to understand the whole toolchain. Yep. But I think because it's just been built from the ground with all the knowledge of what's out there already, it's very easy to bolt in a lot of these other uh, frameworks into it. And so that's why people like Elio and uh, Wichter and Waldeck and all those usual suspects have done a really good job of kind of bringing their knowledge of normal, normal toolchain stuff and kind of plugging it in. I'm excited to see the next wave of adoptees when this thing goes GA when a consulting company goes, we're not going to use SharePoint developers to do this particular project. We're going to use our normal web stack people. I'm interested to see what they think of it. Because I think to date, the people giving opinions are people that are really super familiar with SharePoint, but are not um, not so familiar with the web framework stuff. Whereas it'd be interesting to see people that are like super deep knowledge in web stack don't know SharePoint and what they feel of the experience. And um, the people, we have at Hyperfish, we have a small dev team, but they are amazing. And what they're building in the time they're building is incredible. And we've had a few kind of sessions with them and it's been really interesting to get their opinion of like how it's been implemented and, you know, 
what things have surprised them and so forth as they started digging into the RC. And what sort of things are they finding, JT? I think it, it's been more around the, oh, it's interesting they've implemented it this way or why didn't they use this? And I, and I, I suspect what it is is that, and this was the concern right early on, was whatever framework gets picked, there's always going to be someone that's using another framework. Uh, whatever framework does get picked, there'll always be something else that comes along that will be perceived as better and the latest and coolest thing. And there doesn't seem to have been any stability in this world yet of a particular framework winning. Uh, there still seems to be a lot of people in different camps of what should be the framework to use as the base layer. We're very heavily a node shop here. Um, and front-end and back-end, all our APIs are hosted on Node. Uh, and we've been very cautious of introducing frameworks into the building of the product. And so I think it surprised them some of the bets they've made on introducing frameworks into it. Yeah, I think, you know, like to your point, there there is, especially in the open source world, right, it was a lot easier when you talked about, like, .NET, or at least traditional .NET that wasn't you know, kind of the open source version. But, you know, even like tool, like when you look at the tool chain, there's, there are, there are like tools that do almost the identical thing, whether it be Grunt and Gulp or things like NPM versus Bower. Um, you know, all of these kind of in a way uh, are are conflicting and it's hard to, to pick the best one. And you're always going to probably have varying opinions on on how things come together but you know i I agree i think it's going to be really interesting right now to be quite honest there's just so little that you can do with the sharepoint framework right is is you know when i think back on my sharepoint consulting days you know building a web part may have been one tenth of uh, an, an entire customer engagement so um, I think over time, as they add more extensibility and kind of, I guess what they would consider like modern extensibility in SharePoint, that's where I think it'll be get get really interesting. You know, will you have, will you have developers, you know, web stack developers that understand what a a site column or a content type are and how that fits in, you know, the the taxonomies of SharePoint. So um, I think it'll be interesting, like you said. Yeah, and I know Andrew Connell had his webinar last week uh, for his new kind of venture and building that training course around the framework. And it's been really interesting to follow his opinions as he's going through it too. And, you know, he's been there for every single one. Like uh, he helped me when I was in role building the add-in training content and he did with a person that uh, I replaced as well. So, you know, he's built the training material for pretty much every single model that's been released and so he knows, you know, what to look for and how to keep the tires and what developers are after. And I think you're right, the the web part scenario is obviously where they've decided that's their big bet for what they need to GA and then they'll get after some of the other experiences that need to be customized. But it, it'll be interesting to see how much people can do with a web part before, before they kind of start realizing they need more. But then also, and uh, the bet that I had in my blog post where I write, wrote about teams is, you know, does the framework spam more than SharePoint? Will we see this framework in Microsoft Teams and Delve and Outlook? Yeah. Because, you know, especially for Hyperfish as a partner, we need to be able to override the Delve profile page. Uh, you know, are we going to be able to use some kind of UI model to extend it? And please don't build another model just because you're in a different building in Microsoft, leverage what the SharePoint team in building 34 and 35 have done um, into those products. Don't go and build a different extensibility model. Yep. Well, to that point, there's there's another interesting post here. Um, Michael Svensson, another regular on the show um, in terms of his contributions, he wrote a really interesting article that kind of compares and contrasts the modern team sites versus a traditional SharePoint team site. I mean, this is kind of... You know, it was a pretty big move by Microsoft to say, you know, we're going to introduce these new modern type of team sites. And that's really the only place that um, you're going to be able to, well, you're only going to be able to use the new SharePoint framework kind of elements within those. Your your traditional extensibility isn't going to work. So um, that's another interesting one to, to definitely go check out is what Michael Svensson wrote and, and kind of compares the two. 
I, I have an announcement one as well, and I think it like okay. deserves a big clap, which is the OneDrive Sync. And you may have mentioned it last week's show, but I've been using it in dog food on this machine, and it was a public preview on my Mac Book Pro. And man, that sync's awesome now that it allows me to do my OneDrive personal, OneDrive for business, and SharePoint team sites. And the only issue I've got still is the um, path file is too long. Uh, so when I'm using Adobe Premiere to build my YouTube videos, for whatever reason, it nests a ton of folders, which makes the files paths really long, which is fine on the Mac because it's Linux. But when you try and sync it back to a OneDrive for business, it, it blows up. Apparently, they're working on it, which is great. But um, other than that, it's been... Absolutely awesome for us here at Hyperfish to, you know, kind of co-author and sync and have the files locally on my machines. No, I agree I, entirely. That I was going to say that, that that sync the sync client now is is wonderful. I just recently moved my uh, moved my wife across. I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago onto Office three six five as a back end for a bunch of things, and we've moved off from local storage into uh, obviously up into into OneDrive for business. And that that sync process was was completely seamless while we did that and and now she's in London this week and, and she's just reveling in the idea that she's got access to all these things as part of that process and things are just sinking back and forward completely seamlessly and, and you know she's obviously got a, 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 um, a, a, a consumer OneDrive as well as a, as well as a OneDrive for business and it all just seems to work which I think is, is, um, is actually not a bad not, not a bad way of, uh, of giving it a fair bit of praise it just seems to work yeah I, don't get me wrong it's four years too late but uh, <laughs> I guess the the other thing they've got in their favour is Dropbox raised their prices last week as well. So it'll be interesting to see how many people reevaluate OneDrive now. I don't know how coincidental that timing was, but it seems like a really bad move on their part. Um, but also the more exciting thing is, now they've done that, imagine what the engineering team's going to be doing now to innovate, now that they've got past this hump of fixing sync. So I'm kind of really excited to see what comes out next in the next three, six months. Very cool. Now, do you know uh, Ryan Shelton? Um, either of you guys is an MVP. Yes. Yeah, okay. So I, I'd not come across Ryan before, but um, did quite. He did quite a nice post uh, on his SharePoint Night site about um, using um, using Flow uh, and Microsoft the the uh, the the, uh, the new model around um, uh, Flow in in Azure uh, to post to Microsoft Teams. So that's uh, I, I quite like that uh, that idea of being able to. Pull all those bits together. So he's, he's found a uh, he's found a niche that needed that needed filling, and he's, he's filled it quite nicely with that uh, with that post. And he's using connectors in this. When I first saw the title of this post, I was like, "Huh? How's he doing that?" Because like I I just automatically gravitate towards things like the graph and the APIs that are right. in the graph. And unfortunately, right now um, we don't have like like a channel. Everything is organized in, in Microsoft Teams under a channel. And what we really need in the graph, and it's not quite there yet, is being able to go to a group and then enumerate the channels for a group and right. then be able to post to conversations. So when I first saw this, I was like, oh, how in the world is he doing that? And then I realized he's using connectors. So I think this is a really interesting way of, of uh, achieving that. So he's using the inbound webhook connector to be able to just post information into a team. A little bit of like a, a manual setup involved in doing something like this, but I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, um, this is really cool. So speaking of teams, that's kind of the the topic for today. It's one of the main reasons I wanted to, Jeremy to join us. Um, I did, I'll, I'll just shamelessly plug, I did three posts this week related to development within Microsoft Teams. So I did one post that's just talking about how you build applications for Microsoft Teams. And that's, that's a big deal is, is when... When, I, when you talk with Teams Engineering about building things, you know, they have all these different building blocks. They have things like bots and connectors and tabs. And there's a whole slew of other things that they're working on, but they don't think of it in terms of each one of those individual pieces. They look at the sum of those pieces in delivering an application. And so before Christmas, and I'm just now getting a chance to blog about it, I took a, a, a mobile app that I had built and I was like, well, let me try to like reimagine this for Microsoft Teams. So the, the post is really, it shows that the, what it was looked like as a mobile app and then what it looks like running in Teams. And then I talk about some of the major hurdles that I ran into of doing this. Um, and then I'm, I'm going I'm to do a whole bunch of other posts that detail some of those challenges. So one of the things I did 
you know, when I built a tab is I noticed how cool the planner tab looked. It just matched teams. It looked like it fit in it really nicely. And I had a trouble doing that. I was like, oh, how do you get like, how do you match the theme? Or if I change the theme, like planner automatically converted. And so I spent a lot of times in things like de uh, debug tools and, and ultimately came up with the approach that uh, should be used. So I have a, a post this week on Microsoft Teams and doing custom tab theming. And then also, um, if, if you know the the journey we've been through on, on Office add-ins and doing OAuth from an Office add-in, you know that it's been a, a quite quite a journey. I mean, I think Jeremy and I probably have talked at least an hour's worth on this on the podcast over time. And <laughs> I've, I've written four or five blog posts, I think, just on how do you connect to Office 365 from an add-in. Well, the... The Teams group has thought through this as well, and so they have a similar dialogue API that they um, you can use within a tab to be able to achieve authentication. So uh, I, those are the three posts. I'm going to continue on with this. There's another one around authenticating from a bot, like how do I authenticate and call into different things from a bot. Uh, but you know, from a developer perspective, um, I'm, I'm hoping to get a lot more information out there because... I can't tell you the date, but I can just tell you that um, general availability for Teams is coming up pretty soon. Um, I, does that is that ambiguous enough? Pretty soon. <laughs> well, they that's promised it by ambiguous. the end of Q1, so that's that narrows it down, Rich. What did they What did they promise it by? End of Q1. Okay. All right. Well, I I will year. say that from everything I've heard, that is accurate. But I won't go any more specific <laughs> than that. <laughs> So, Jeremy, you, um, you've been thinking a fair bit about Teams, man. In fact, you you did a post moderately recently about uh, about how where it all fits and and and, uh, and and why why it makes sense. Yeah, the, the reason this came about was when I joined Hyperfish. Um, one of the big things I thought we needed to get on top of straight away was to Rich's point with conversational bots. The whole purpose of Hyperfish is that it's very easy and streamlined to update your profile information. And we already have a Slack bot. And I said, well, why haven't we built a Microsoft Teams bot yet? And, you know, usual answer from an engineering person was, well, you know, we've got a lot of stuff to do and it's not a priority yet and there's not enough users out there. And he was right. Like, we're still in preview with Microsoft Teams. We talk to a lot of customers. They're kicking the tires with it, but no one's kind of really using it um, aggressively just yet. And so, you know, one of my jobs was just to kind of have a look out there to see, you know, how much adoption are we really going to see so we can make a good educated guess on what point in the roadmap we should go away and build that chatbot. And uh, it really kind of opened up some a Pandora's, Pandora's box, really, when we started talking to customers about how they might use Teams and the confusion that people have with Teams compared to things like when to use Yammer and when to use Groups when to use SharePoint, like where does Teams sit? And so as I was collecting all that information, I realized that uh, there's a lot of people asking the same questions. And so I did a blog post and then I did a quick YouTube series on it as well. So what was some of the, let's maybe break down a little bit of your, your post. So what, like, uh, what is, I, I guess, first, what do you see as some of the, the advantages that Microsoft team has? And maybe both from like, I don't want to get into like a, a comparison, like a deep comparison with something like Slack, but you know certainly there's some unique things that just being a Microsoft component of Office 365, there, there's some things that it can take advantage of that maybe are harder from something like Slack. Um, but you know just in general, in terms of like like all up Office 365, all the different tools that are there, like what what were some of the things that you saw that were um, like a, a good opportunity? Yeah, I think really the engineering teams in plural that are behind this, and that was the, I guess for me, the most amazing thing that when I saw it was that there's been a lot of teams across Microsoft involved in this, and they've done a great job of building a client that works on the mobile and Mac and PC desktops in a preview, which is not that common in a Microsoft world. Usually you'd expect it to be on Windows first and come out on mac last and maybe iphone first then android but the fact they rolled everything out at once um and then also it's not just really 
Skype chat calls. You know, it's integrating deeply into the whole notion of Office 365 groups uh, and the ability to kind of have an associated OneDrive for business location and a planner and everything else. And so I think, you know, when people are thinking about collaborating as a team, this is kind of like the superset of everything in a really nice presentation layer that roams across your devices, which I think is really neat because I think part of the problem with Office 365 groups was you could go and have your conversations in groups in Outlook. But if you're on a Mac, groups in Outlook doesn't exist in the Outlook client. And not many people that I know use the web version of Outlook. They're still very much like the rich client for offline notions and just the speed of the client over the web. And so groups in Outlook for kind of doing email conversations wasn't getting the adoption in companies I've been speaking to. Whereas with Microsoft Teams, because it kind of roams across device and has those clients on each of the desktops, I think people are more willing to, um, to, to use it. Yeah, you know, I, I think I'll maybe translate part of what you just said there is because it, it does, it does like it, it carries with it like some components of all the major areas of Office 365 and, and organize it in the one area. So I don't have to jump out to a browser to do one thing or jump into another client tool to do something else. It can kind of organize it all, all in, in one area. But in a lot of ways, this is kind of like the, I don't know what the, everyone I think uses different ratios, but like the 80-20 rule, like, hey, if I can do like 80% of the work that, or if I can cover 80% of the scenarios, like that's probably enough for most people. And I think that I'm a perfect candidate for that. Like there are, there are components like, let's say maybe SharePoint is, you know, I can certainly pin like a library in SharePoint as a tab inside of Teams. And it's probably all, uh, for for most of the things that I do, all I need, and so I don't need to necessarily go out to um, that SharePoint side. And then, and I think there's other scenarios that that fit with that as well. You know, versus whether you're talking like Planner or you know Notes or or different components like that, is that it it, it does aggregate maybe like the eighty percent of things that I do on a daily basis. Look, and you add on to the top of that things like uh, integration with video and audio conferencing. Um, I am uh, a bunch of stuff around um, the capability to do uh, uh, to, to do the, um, the the bots. It's just I think it's a, it's a really compelling package. We've been using it uh, on a, on a project we're uh, we're running here in uh, in Australia with our with our local team, and we've just found it remarkably easy to draw people into a to to a um, well a, a, I guess to a V team, and, and then re- reorganise another team somewhere else. It, it's it's been really powerful from that point of view. Yeah, and, and the fact that tabs aren't just there for first-party services, that you can go and build your own tabs as well and have like other systems shown in there is incredible. Like, I know there was one guy that, I don't forget his name now, but it's in that, I linked to it in my blog post. He, he did a uh, GitHub project that allowed you to embed a Yammer group as a tab in a Microsoft team, which was like, why would you do that? But I guess if you're in a transitional period where you were in a Yammer group, but you want to take advantage of everything that Teams gives you, you can transition to the team and still have access to all the Yammer conversations that have happened. And I guess ideally what would happen is you would then start kind of conversing in the Teams conversations instead. Um, but it gives you the ability to have other tabs in there as well to Salesforce or uh, Insightly or whatever you want in there, which I think is really neat. And obviously the connector stuff too. So they've really kind of taken a lot of the extensibility that existed in you know, other areas of office and uh, built this great UI that's extendable, which is awesome. The, the other thing that I think is interesting about Teams, because I was actually a pretty heavy user of groups. Um, I, I, that was a, because again, it, that was, I think, the first effort to really bring a bunch of things together. Um, and, and it was probably the first area where you went and would talk to a customer and they would be like, well, what about on-premises? And you'd be like, well... You know, you got to understand how many things we're orchestrating behind the scenes to make a modern, like a unified group possible. It's it's provisioning a site collection behind the scenes. It's provisioning, you know, a mailbox and all these other kind of components around it. Um, and, and so, like, the fact that it's built on that group's uh, infrastructure is great, but it takes it, a, I think, a step further. It starts to get it a little bit closer 
to what SharePoint offered where I can add additional taxonomy on top of it. So, and, and I'm speaking more specifically to the fact that I can organize things within channels. Um, so like to me, that's been one of the, the big benefits that I can organize it a little bit more versus just having this big wide group conversation. Yeah, I was actually really impressed. I created a new site internally for a project we're using and I was actually in the SharePoint Home section where it listed all the site collections that I've got access to, and I created a new site. And the interface now isn't just creating a team site. It tells you it's going to create a group as well, um, which is really, really cool. Now, when you go, you can go and extend that to be team-supported as well. So I don't think it will be too long before, you know, when you create a SharePoint team site that's now creating an Office 365 group, that in effect you're going to get a t uh, Microsoft team as well. Um, you know, so as, I, soon, as soon as you create a team, it says, hey, it looks like you run a group that doesn't yet have a team. Do you want to make that a team as well? Right, right. Which, and which so I think neat. that, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see, like, which UI wins. And I know, like, the, the kind of the pitch right now from a lot of the marketing guys at Microsoft is, you know, options is great and users want to be able to pick and choose. But I, ideally, I think an organization is going to so. Teams is where you where you start everything, and and, and and you know it just so happens there's a SharePoint site under the covers, but you're going to go to the team every day to to see it all. Um, but I know like the SharePoint team will want to say that the SharePoint homepage is the place where everyone starts, and the Yammer guys will want to say the Yammer page is where everyone goes to start. So that that's going to be interesting to see how that presentation U, UI kind of which one is the bookmarked thing for whatever team collaboration you're doing so jt one of the reasons yeah. we, uh, we've got you on is that uh, you're not constrained anymore so there must be some things you don't like about no teams. that's right um well i'm sure it's coming but external users is a big like come on it's microsoft teams is built on office 365 groups office 365 groups supports external users kind so of you've got to assume at some well yeah at some point uh, external users will become part of Teams. And then I think once that kind of nuts cracked, Slack has to be shaking in its boots um, if they're not already. Yeah, you um, know, the, the, the thing with that is, you know, I was I was chatting with a bunch of people last week at, at Microsoft. We have a Catalyst team at, at, within DX where a lot of what fancy. they do is work with these, these startups. And, and one of the big things that they were kind of alluding to, and I never really kind of, I never really put a lot of uh, emphasis on that or really paid attention, but the it's just Slack makes it so incredibly easy to not only add an external user, but like how like like you know you just go to the the URL that you get an email for, you you get a magic link, and bada bing, you're in. Like you're you're immediately collaborating, and like to me. I guess my fear is I've I've seen lots of internal build stuff with Teams, but I haven't seen any of the external user stuff yet, which I know it's coming, but I haven't been able to see it and experience it. But man, if we get that wrong, like I, I got to think it's going to have a huge challenge of adoption. Yeah, that, that the assumption of it's okay if we just provide Microsoft account support is probably <laughs> the wrong assumption for external users these days. Yep. Um, so so then, what else? Uh, the other, the other big one would be, uh, I guess, this delineation of when to use Teams. This notion of high velocity, um, just it, it's like having me pull my eyeballs out. Uh, as a fellow marketing person, I get it. They're in a position where they have four products that kind of do the same thing, and they need to delineate. Uh, why you would use Teams over Yammer and why you would use Teams over Groups in Outlook, which I prefer as a better way of explaining email in groups as opposed to calling it out Office 365 Groups, which I think is a different thing. That's more of a all the underlying things that get provisioned as part of the group. And uh, my kind of feeling there is if you fundamentally went on the whiteboard and you wrote down the features of Teams, Groups, and Yammer, which is what I do in my post. Basically, you can create a new conversational thread. People can reply to that conversational thread. They can like the replies. They can basically reply again to it. They can post hyperlinks and images in all three of those products. And fundamentally, um, they're the same. 
Uh, and so it it irks me a bit that we have three of those. Fortunately, SharePoint kind of killed off the news feeds capability. Mm. But it will be interesting to see what happens in the next year, two years, on whether they keep all three, whether they decide that they're going to go in different directions with all three. But right now, you know, they, they seem very similar as much as people kind of feel otherwise. Yeah, and, and to be quite honest, if you think, if you break it down, groups have tabs, right? You can, you you have different tabs within the group user interface. And even Yammer, to some extent, I don't remember, it's, uh, I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest, it's been a while since I've been in Yammer, because I do use some of these other tools. I, I've, I've, I think I always tell people it's like you have options, but you ultimately gravitate to what you prefer. But um, I, I think that last I looked, even even Yammer had like a files tab uh, where you could see any of the files that have been uploaded in inside of a thread. So yeah, I mean it it like that the 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 confusion I think that we allude in these things kind of just like it, it becomes like exponential. Um, you know, the longer we go without providing more guidance. Yeah, and I think it's great that connectors from a developer's perspective exist across teams and groups in Outlook. But um, like the tabs aspect of teams is new. That's not something that was in groups in Outlook, but I think it's actually a good thing. But um, it'll be interesting to see uh, as those three things mature, whether the extensibility approach is the same across them. Because they are different engineering teams in different buildings, and I, I feel like there could be a notion that, um, you know, as a partner now, I've got to bet where the best place is for me to integrate with. And, and right now, if you look at the momentum around teams compared to the momentum around something like Yammer or groups in Outlook, I, you know, stand aside and let teams just steamroll through and keep rolling out these features because they seem to be doing it at a pretty aggressive rate. And, uh, you know, so I, I think we're going to bet on teams for sure. It's interesting. Um, there's a post just recently by Jasper uh, Oesterfeld, who's, uh, who's said many of the same things that you have. I don't know if you've seen that, that recently, but uh, but he talks about the state of, you know, team, the impact of teams on collaboration in general. And he talks about Slack as well as the as the options inside Microsoft. And he's come to lots of the same conclusions you are. So I think that's, that's, uh, that's a, a neat validation. Yeah, we. I actually on my new podcast because I got I I just missed having the podcasts going on, <laughs> so I have started the new Hyperfish one, which is on iTunes and Google Play and so forth. And I had Victor Willen, who was involved in the pilot for Microsoft Teams with his company Avenard, and we talked a lot about what they saw as the value, which was a really good show. And then Jasper came on to talk about kind of the confusion that he's seeing with customers around. You know, people that have adopted Yammer or people that have adopted Groups and Outlook and how their perspective changes now that there's this another option. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. And You know, I don't have the answers and I'm not sure even Microsoft do at the moment. I think they're, <laughs> they're feeling their way a bit to see which, you know, is there a reason to have all three and what, what's the strengths of this over that and how, how do we kind of really make those particular offerings unique? And obviously, how do they interact? Because... I don't want to have to remember that when I'm in my engineering team, we tend to do most of our work in teams, but when I'm in my marketing team, we do all our work in Yammer and have to remember to jump between those different products to see the conversations. I really want one presentation layer where I see everything. And right now we don't have that. And I think that's what's going to reduce the adoption of these tools in a normal organization. Yeah, you know, you bring up another kind of really interesting talking point is that I don't want to generalize, and I'm certainly not by any means um, cutting Slack short and the the experience of that. But but in large, Slack's probably biggest area of, or I would say sweet spot, has been with developers and IT type of groups. Now, I'm not saying by any means it's been exclusively that, but it's certainly been an area where they've had um, a huge penetration. I mean, it, I think you can just look in the Slack user interface and the fact that I can post code, the fact that that's even an option in the user interface, I think it speaks to the fact that developers are using it. Um, like, like, and, and Microsoft has such a different spin. Like, we really try to position Office 365 as, like, 
an enterprise tool that everyone in the enterprise should be using, regardless of like what your job function is. So it'll be real. I I think what's going to be really interesting is, and I agree with you, Jeremy, is I think we're kind of uh, just kind of testing the waters to see like where this is going to get interest in the enterprise is like, you know, is this, is this going to like resonate with maybe a, uh, a, 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 an area of an organization that's maybe less traditional to collaborate this way. Yeah, and if you think Yammer and Groups both have this notion of being able to engage via email. So I can work with Yammer and I can work with Groups and Outlook just purely from replying to an email. And people who live in Yammer or they live in the Groups and Outlook experience can see my responses. There's no way to do that with Teams. If you commit to communicating and collaborating as a team, you have to be in the Microsoft Teams UI. And I think where Groups and Outlook was popular was these are, I, my workflow as a, a triage for the day of my emails. I could mark as read, I could flag, I could file things in folders to get to them later. Whereas I really don't have that workflow essence around Microsoft Teams that I get for free with Groups and Outlook and to a certain degree with the Yammer emails that come through as well. And I think... For the organizations where, and, I, and we were talking to a customer last week when I was back in London, where their executives still print emails and read them and highlight them, and then they go back to their desk and respond later on. You know, that world exists still, and, and, and the adoption side of moving them into a mobile device or into a new client to look at as well as their outlook is going to be a, a very big transition, I think, for organizations. Yeah, I, I, I got to think that we're probably not even in our lifetime, we're going to see email going away. Like, I think I think email's here to stay. I mean, I think that there are just like certain scenarios that just, it, it just, there's nothing that really is going to move away from that. But I, like where I think it'll be interesting and, and certainly as you introduce new tools, it kind of, there is always going to be a confusion of like, well, where do I, where do I post this or where do I send this? Do I send it through email or do I use it through a, a tool like this? But, you know, can we get those, you know, someone like that is so, uh, I guess, ingrained in the way they work where they even print out emails? Like, will we ever get to the point where we can get someone like that to adopt more of a modern tool? Um, I think it'll and, be, yeah. And I've come from the extreme where at Microsoft, and I don't think people realize the culture there is very email heavy and it's very meeting heavy and I looked at my MyLinux when I left and I was doing an average of 35 hours a week of meetings hmm. and then spending probably at least 8 to 10 hours doing email before actually getting to any work and moving to Hyperfish where we're 14 people at the minute and I get emails when I collaborate externally with customers and with people externally to Hyperfish but Internally, we either talk in person or uh, we use Slack. So, you know, my inbox is very minimal now. And meeting-wise, you know, we, we don't have as many meetings because we can have stand-up conversations without having to have kind of officially scheduled, you know, daily things or week things on there. And so I think when people are building these products in Microsoft, they're very uh, biased around the way that Microsoft works. And not necessarily taking into consideration how the average company uh, works on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it'll be interesting to see how that the way these products evolve it is influenced by different types of styles of organization and communication preferences and so forth. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Um, since this is a developer podcast, um, I wanted to maybe just take a little bit more of a developer spin on, on Teams. I want to hear kind of where you feel like we need to go with Teams from a developer standpoint. I, will, I, I guess I'll start maybe by saying, in my mind, one of the big benefits of Teams is the support for bots from the very get-go. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of our, you know, even Skype for Business bots aren't there yet. Um, we've we talked about it at, at Ignite a few months back that it's it's coming, but... Um, the fact that from the very preview, we had bot support. And even in a lot of ways, I, I, Pratish is probably going to like freak out if he's listening to this podcast. But in a lot of ways, I'm struggling to figure out scenarios where a connector is even a valid scenario when I have bots. Because a bot supports this concept of a card just like, um, just like you can with a connector. Um, and I can send proactive messages from a bot where I don't have to actually 
initiate anything like with it. And so like to me, just the fact that we supported that from day one was just fantastic. What, what's, what's lacking in your perspective, Jeremy? Yeah, I think for the scenarios that we have at Hyperfish, really for now, we're having a one-on-one conversation with an individual. So bots make total sense in teams. But I think where Slack are a little bit more advanced, where their bots will actually work in channels and more than one person can engage with a bot, I think there's some really cool scenarios where they're where uh, we could be having a chat like we are now, but we're typing in a channel and a bot could be listening in and could actually chime into the conversation and be part of that channel discussion. And I think there's going to be some amazing things, uh, mashups there around the office graph where signals that are external to teams right now can be used in context of the discussion being had in that channel in text. And the bot can kind of intervene and make suggestions uh, based on what's being discussed. And, the, you know, think outside of the office graph. The channel, the discussions could involve signals from other systems and services as well. And I feel like, for me, uh, again, it's going to take a while for people to get used to that. I know in the consumer space, like Facebook Messenger's had bots for pretty best part of eight months now. And when I was, just before I left Microsoft, we launched the Azure Bot Service. And so I was working closely with the Microsoft Bot Framework team in Microsoft Research. And, you know, some of the stuff they were doing was really cool. But when you went and talked to the average consumer, they had no idea that a bot existed and what you could do with it. And I feel like we're very, very early in the cycle right now with bots. Um, there's not really any real killer, killer examples of bots adding a lot of value. But I, I think it's just around the corner. And I think... Once Teams has the ability to do that with channels, uh, I think there'll be some really compelling things that it isn't just a form bot where rather than me going to form and filling out a bunch of fields, like in the scenario of Hyperfish, with updating a profile, or from a CRM perspective, I can create a lead or an opportunity just by typing to a bot. I think there's more sophisticated things that can happen in a bot that will really, really change the way we think. And, and the best use case I can kind of compare it to now is not in a text conversation with a bot, but it's how something like the Amazon Echo and Alexa has just changed the way the average user interacts with things. Uh, My wife, we were just uh, back in London and we walked into a hotel and she told Alexa to play music and then was quite annoyed that music didn't start because she didn't realize that Alexa wasn't on holiday with us. (laughs) <laughs> and so I think the, the way that uh, someone like that who, uh, you know, Julie didn't have a laptop before she met me. She did everything from her phone, didn't have a tablet. Um, so she's not very technology advanced at all. But the way that she's just accepted Alexa into her uh, lifestyle and how she interacts with devices, uh, I, I think that's the best kind of thing in the w- real world that's there and available now that I think we'll see in chatbots in the work environment very, very soon. But there's just not anything too compelling just yet that anyone shipped. So, JT, you, you said earlier in the show when we were talking a little bit about the SharePoint framework and like, like SharePoint wanting to hold on to things like the landing page for Teams, like, like it seems to me like there's some pretty obvious integrations between SharePoint and Microsoft Teams, like right now, I can I can add a tab that's a library. But like, what other things do you foresee there being like some interesting integrations there? Yeah, I think when I was in the role, and I, I know we've had these discussions before, when Office 365 Groups originally was spawned, people were like, yeah, it's great that we can have the conversation uh, threads or conversations you showing, basically your inbox to your emails in groups as the homepage. But a lot of people were like, we want to see a dashboard instead because we want to have a, a web part that shows something else pertinent to that group, like maybe from Dynamic CRM or maybe show the document library in one view so I don't have to click on the, the link at the top to jump off to a new tab in a browser to see the documents related to that group. And the Office 365 groups guys never really got to that. They never enabled you to have a dashboard as a homepage. They have like this hard-coded thing that really only makes sense from a first run. Um, And so I think 
if they get their act together with Teams and you can change a tab to be the default tab so it's not just the conversations in Teams and that maybe it could be a tab with a, a dashboard and, you know, let's just really hope that they go and talk to the SharePoint guys and go, look, let's make that tab a SharePoint page, a modern page, and then let's go build web parts for Microsoft Teams conversations and have that web part on the page next to another web part, which is the document library for the team, and another web part, which is the planner tasks for that team, uh, and allow SharePoint to kind of own that UI. And I think that's a good kind of like... Uh, you know, Russia, USA, and China type handshake of okay, we're all on the same page, we're in the same company, and uh, you know, that, that, that's agree to disagree, and we can do our own things, but this is a great way for everyone to be at the same table and all their services be promoted through Teams. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see with that. I think uh, it would be a great disappointment to see Teams do their own dashboard UI with their own framework uh, on the front end. Well, at least they've. I know that they've adopted like the cards that uh, you know Outlook was really first to uh, go towards with connectors, and and so those cards are being used for not only connectors but bots as well. But like I, I agree. I think the whole concept of a modern page, like if I could add a modern page, I think that would just be a, a killer uh, ability uh, to do within a team. It's funny. I think about it like adding a web part inside of Teams would be like an app within an app within an app. <laughs> you have your it's web like part in- that's inception. like an app, and then, and then you have the tab that's an app, and then yeah. Anyway, funny. Because right now it, it does only support um, adding. Well, you got the OneDrive for Business document library. You can add another tab to point to another SharePoint document library. It can live somewhere else, but you can't add a SharePoint site per se to it. So there's no way of pinning a, a modern page in an easy way. I, I'm sure that's coming, but um, I think that would be a good you know, bridge between all these worlds and it, allow Microsoft Teams to be that presentation layer for a team collaboration, which I think it needs to be, really. Awesome. So, Jeremy, if, um, if you were going to give... Developers, one bit of advice about how to get involved with Teams. Where would, where would people start? What's the best way to, to kick off with, with, uh, with, with involvement in Teams? Like using it might be one thing, but how about developing for it? Yeah, I, I, the, the advice I gave a team in London last week was, uh, I said, you know, do you use Slack? Like, yeah. So, well, go create, if you're using Office 365, you've got Teams. So go create a Microsoft team. I mean, there is a few scenarios where they don't, but go... Um, Go create a team and just start using that instead of Slack just to kind of get used to it and familiarize with it on a mobile and a desktop browser and in the client apps themselves. And then from dev.office.com, there's some good training material and documentation on how to go build custom tabs. But there are some good bloggers out there that have actually started a blog and released kind of GitHub repos of various different extension points for tabs. And obviously, Rich has already mentioned his blog posts that go into this as well. Um, the bot stuff is amazing. Uh, there's been some videos just this week on Channel 9 that have been launched that go into a lot of detail about how to use the Microsoft Bot Framework for a bunch of very rich card integration type conversations with bots. And I would recommend every developer to start digging on this. And if you can think of a use case that works for your organization by using Teams and a conversational bot, maybe to replace something you do already as a form internally as an organization and build that as a bot. It's a great way of playing with bots, integrating with teams, but then getting your company to use it internally. And honestly, you can run that bot in Azure very easily with the Azure bot service. And it's a simple click to deploy that to a Microsoft team. Uh, When I did the videos when we launched that stuff back six months ago now, maybe, um, end-to-end is four minutes to have a bot running. So it's not complex anymore, and it's really up to your imagination on what kind of conversation you want to have and what information you want to present from a service and post back to a service. And I think um, it's going to be the future of where things go as a developer. Uh, it's definitely going to be something you're going to need in your kit bag, and I, I, I'd, I'd advise having a look at this stuff now because it's definitely going to be something that comes up from either your manager or manager's manager that wants to kind of get involved with this stuff. And Microsoft are pushing it hard. Like the conversation as a platform 
is something that Sacha is the kind of leader of Microsoft has been pushing for a long time. And, uh, you know, CIOs around the world are getting this beaten in the head every single kind of conference keynote they go to. So it, it won't be long, if not already happening, that people are asking for bots within an organization. So it's definitely a good exercise to kind of mash those things together and build your first bot inside Teams using Azure. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, it's always a pleasure to have you. We kind of did this a little bit backwards, but you know, we'll have links in the show notes on um, where you're blogging now because I know you've switched that up a little bit. And I guess before we like completely like close out this podcast, give us an update on. Uh, you've kind of alluded to you know you're at Hyperfish now, but tell us a little bit about um, your role at Hyperfish and 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 we haven't really had an update on Hyperfish in general. What what are some of the things going on at Hyperfish? Yeah, cool. So. Um, I joined back in or late November and uh, came on board as a VP of product technology but I'm kind of working across sales doing pre-sales directly selling the product to customers and with marketing so I own a lot of the YouTube and Twitter and the website channels on how we message the product but then I work really closely with CJ who's our CTO on uh, product roadmap and reviewing the wireframes and the mock-ups of how the product gets built. I've stepped away a lot from code. I haven't touched code in a long time now, um, especially since joining Hyperfish, but I kind of like that aspect. I can kind of throw the painful kind of, yeah, we just need to do this and not have to worry about implementation. <laughs> uh, and, and CJ is definitely has changed as a, as a, you know, as a peer of uh, like how he works and kind of pushing back, which is kind of a bit fun. Uh, so that's that's kind of my role is very diverse and obviously from an evangelist side getting Hyperfish's name out there by blogging and doing a podcast and uh, I have a studio in our offices with a green screen and been having some fun with that with YouTube in kind of just educational videos that help people and hopefully people share those with others and gets our name out there so it's kind of a, a bit of everything but then Hyperfish in general uh, we launched at Ignite as a general availability of the product uh, the analyzer is available for free. So if you're a Office 365 customer or you're using Active Directory on-prem, you download an agent and we talk to the agent or we just access Office 365 directly. And you can get a PDF report that shows you how complete your directory is across various different attributes, like shows you how many users have profile photos, how many users have their manager field populated, which is critical for things like workflow and business process management you have in your orgs. But then we basically engage with your users directly and, and chase them up uh, to say, hey, look, your profile photo isn't uploaded in Office 365 or you know, you haven't got your manager field populated. Would you like to reply to this email and say, my manager is Jeremy Thake or maybe click on this link and go to a form and fill it out or jump to our Slack bot and talk to our Slack bot and fill in the details. And so it's been really fun to see kind of users engage and the adoption and so forth of Hyperfish as we go through. But we're working on some roadmap features at the moment, which uh, get more into the bot stuff and uh, get us outside of just thinking about Active Directory profiles as things that need to be completed and need to be accurate and compliant to corporate policy and a bit further afield to other objects that you might look after in your, your business. So it's it's been really fun. And it's such a different world to be in when you're, 14 people in the org and primarily all developers and uh, a lot of experience with people like Brian Cook from who was the CEO of Nintex uh, that stepped down to run Hyperfish with CJ as a CTO and it's been a lot of fun. Sounds like fun. I know that uh, I've been able to keep in touch with both you and CJ and um, envious a lot of ways uh, all the excitement of a startup and and all the exciting things you guys are doing but we'll we'll have to have both you and cj on maybe in the near future and do more of a a deep dive into you know how you guys are leveraging you know things like the graph and other components of microsoft to to build some of the hyperfish offerings uh, i think that'd be a cool show that uh, our listeners would get a lot out of yeah, we're, we're actually at InspireX, which is the Nintex conference in New Orleans next week. And we're presenting on um, all of the technology SaaS services and PaaS services that we're using to run Hyperfish and what benefits it's given us. And uh, 
it's been really cool putting that presentation together and that, that's kind of got me back into the technical world as well a bit more so than I have been lately well, awesome. If, if our listeners need an excuse to get to uh, New Orleans and Bourbon Street, you, you got it here. Uh, and go go check out Jeremy uh, and the Hyperfish guys. So, well, Jeremy, I really appreciate it. Uh, I, it's a pleasure, as always, having you back on here. This is kind of your baby that we've uh, uh, adopted. And so uh, hopefully we're doing it justice. And uh, we'll have you on again in the future, I'm sure. I really appreciate that you guys took this on and have kept it as strong as you have because... Uh... It would have been a shame to see this die off, so thanks for uh, carrying the torch on and making it bigger and better every time I listen to it. So thanks, guys. Thanks, mate. Always great to catch up. Well, that's all for this week. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all our podcasts, the developer program, and other amazing content. Also, make sure you follow us at OfficeDev on both Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, get your code on.